You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. This series on Daniel, what a great series. Uh, I've been enjoying this as Sam has walked us through the story of this amazing Old Testament character. And when I looked at the uh, preaching schedule and saw that I was on tonight, when we consider this this passage of the writing on the wall, I was really stoked because I'm not sure if I've ever preached on this, but I've known this story for a long time. It's interesting talking with people during the week and uh, a lot of you have not heard of this story or wasn't it, you weren't aware that this was in the Old Testament. It's, we're going to have some fun tonight because this is an amazing story which has an application directly to us in 2012. Um, I've chosen the message tonight as the, the version that I'm going to read from. Uh, this is uh, Daniel chapter 5 and it's the first 12 verses. Uh, King Belshazzar is on the throne when all this takes place. So here it is. King Belshazzar had a great feast for his 1,000 nobles. This guy on Facebook, he would have been right there, like 1,000 friends. The wine flowed freely. Belshazzar, heady with the wine. Now there's a phrase, heady with the wine. Order that the gold and silver chalices his father Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from God's temple of Jerusalem be brought in so that he and his nobles, his wives and concubines could drink from them. Concubines, uh, one dictionary explanation has it as a secondary wife. There's a, a tactful way, a discreet way of putting a, con- a secondary wife. So there you go. When the gold and silver chalices were brought in, the king and his nobles, his wives and concubines, drank wine from them. They drank the wine and drunkenly praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. At that very moment, the finger or the fingers of a human hand appeared and began writing on the lamp-illumined, whitewashed wall of the palace. I love that detail. When the king saw the disembodied hand writing away, he went white as a ghost, scared out of his wits, his legs went limp, and his knees knocked. Have you ever been that scared that your legs go limp, knees started knocking? He yelled out for the enchanters, the fortune tellers, the diviners. That's not the diviners. The diviners to come. He told these, these encha- he told the told these Babylonian magi, anyone who can read this writing on the wall and tell me what it means will be famous and rich. Purple robe, the great gold chain, whatever that was, and be third in command of the kingdom. One after the other they tried but could make no sense of it. They could neither read what was written nor interpret it to the king. So now the king was really frightened. All the blood drained from his face. The nobles were in a panic. You notice there's no repentance here. There's there's no remorse. He's just trying to get an explanation and, you know, try to get the party going again. No remorse whatsoever as far as we can tell. The queen heard of the hysteria among the king and his nobles and came to the banquet hall. She said... Long live the king. Given what this lady been through, you'd really have to doubt the sincerity of that, uh, of that statement, wouldn't you? Uh, don't be upset. Don't sit around looking like ghosts. There is a man in your kingdom who is full of the divine Holy Spirit. That's an interesting reference in the Old Testament. During your father's time, he was well known for his intellectual brilliance and spiritual wisdom. He was so good that your father... King Nebuchadnezzar made him head of all the magicians, enchanters, fortune tellers and diviners. There was no one quite like him. He could do anything, interpret dreams, solve mysteries, explain puzzles. His name is Daniel, but he was renamed Belteshazzar by the king. 
You'd hope that wasn't by deed poll. I think I like Daniel better. Uh, I think I'd prefer that. Have Daniel called in. He'll tell you what is going on here. I really love that. He'll tell you what is really going on here. So here we are. King Belshazzar. And the year is 539 BC. A long time before Jesus. And Belshazzar, the reigning king, decides to throw this wild party which would make anything Craig Thompson is alleged to have done look very mild by comparison. This is a thousand friends. He has the sacred vessels brought in. Now, guys, this would be the equivalent to one of the uh, crime bosses of Sydney. I'm not going to name names. I I like drive through, but not drive by. Uh, One of the crime bosses throwing a huge party and halfway through the party, well-oiled with alcohol, saying, hey, listen, somebody get up there to St. Patrick's Cathedral. Let's just get a few. I don't do drunken very well. Uh, let's just, I'll give it to you straight. Let's get some of those chalices that they use there for communion. Bring them back here and we'll drink our wine from them tonight. How's that grab you? I mean, that'd be outrageous. Sacrilegious in the extreme. But that's what was happening on this particular occasion. And then, of course, this is my favorite part. You know, a hand appears. Have we got any Indiana Jones fans in the audience tonight? <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, do you remember that movie, um, the movie, uh, the, uh, what, what, let me just check the name of this one. It was the, uh, the, Ark, no, the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember that one? And um, there's a scene which I was going to show tonight, but the special effects are a bit corny compared to what's available today. But it's where they, they open the Ark. You know, uh, I think it's a group of Nazis. It's always a group of Nazis with Indiana Jones. Uh, A group of Nazis. And they open the ark. And things are going great for a while. It looks like they're just about to peer in to see what's in the ark. And all of a sudden, this very ominous cloud appears and starts swirling and starts engulfing the, uh, the cave where they're opening the ark. And all of a sudden, joy and jubilation turns to fear and terror and then a couple of them there like a bit like uh, with Nebuchadnezzar with the blood drains from his face well they had the, all their skin drains from their faces and they just turn into skeletons you know that scene very powerful there's someone up the back there's a great Indiana Jones fan well you know I mean that's that's a bit like this scene you know they've gone from uh, wild partying all of a sudden to this is absolute sheer terror as this hand starts to write and the message is clear don't mess with God. That's the clear, unmistakable message of the hand. You're getting into dangerous territory. Every action produces a reaction. Every sin has a consequence. I've just come from Adelaide, visiting my, uh, my grandkids down there. And um, I've become acutely aware of the, the usage of the word consequence with the modern, with the modern parent. And my, my, my daughter is one of the modern parents. And so uh, over the weekend, you know, it was uh, cadence. You do that, there'll be a consequence. And the consequence is usually the naughty corner or it's a little bit of a withdrawal of privileges or something like that, you know. But there's always a consequence. In my day, it was just a clip over the ear. Didn't get any warning, no warning at all. But now you get a warning. There's going to be a consequence if you keep this behavior. So this is, what, this is what's happening with, uh, with Belshazzar. He's getting a warning. There's going to be a consequence. And, you know, guys, look, the Bible's very strong on this. You know, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. It's unequivocal. You don't mess with God. Ultimately, you know, there's going to be a day of reckoning. And uh, in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, have a look at this. One of the least known verses of the Bible, but it's very strong. Do not deceive yourselves. No one 
makes a fool of God. You will reap exactly what you plant. I think one of the appeals of a passage like this one from from Daniel 5, one of the appeals is that here's where the bad guy gets his just desserts. And, and, you know, we, we kind of like that. Let's be honest. You know, deep down, we, we like that. Uh, some in the Old Testament, it's a clear pattern. Some individual, some nation, they rise up against God's people or they start acting in a way that's, uh, that's defiant and defiles God. And uh, something happens. There's a flood. There's a plague. Somebody's thrown to the lions or, or they die some horrific death. Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a, it's, it's very swift judgment. And so uh, today, of course... Bad guys get elected to public office. Today, bad guys become CEOs of large companies. Bad guys become union officials. Bad guys become the leaders of, of children's armies in Africa. And they seem to get away with a lot. And sometimes we may secretly wish that uh, bad guys were dealt with far more harshly, not allowed to get away with the things they seem to get away with. Well, in Old Testament times, justice was very swift and it was very sure. In the case of Belshazzar, this city which had been regarded as impregnable. It was a massive city. You can check it on, on Google, the, the ancient city of Babylon. They had the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It was a, an impregnable city. But that night, it was penetrated by Belshazzar's enemies and his life was taken. If only Belshazzar, this guy with this strange name, if only he had the wisdom, if only he'd had the discernment, the insight to understand that seeing the writing on the wall can, can prevent our backs from being up against it, up against the wall, that is. Um, isn't that a truism in life? Isn't that a truism in life when we find ourselves in the midst of a struggle, in the midst of a tough time, a time of challenge, a time of despair. Often, often, not always, but often we can trace our predicament back to a wrong decision, a poor choice, an ill-conceived plan, getting in with the wrong crowd. And we're inclined to say, you know what, I should have seen this coming. Here I am really up against it. I, I should have seen this coming. Guys, over the years of my ministry, I have assisted a lot of people, like scores and hundreds, I guess, of people in all sorts of pastoral situations because that's been my work, a, a pastor. And I've had direct contact, face-to-face -face contact with literally hundreds and hundreds of people who found themselves with their backs against the wall. And uh, in many cases, they've acknowledged they should have seen the writing on the wall. They should have seen it coming. I'm talking about people caught up in addiction. People caught up with financial problems, moral failure, family disputes, toxic relationships. The warning signs were there, but they failed to heed them. Friends and family tried to do a bit of writing on the wall, tried to give some counsel, tried to give some guidance, tried to, to give some help, but, but they've refused to listen. And you know what? It could be. It could be that one of the most significant messages some of you get from tonight's message will be to heed the writing on the wall. You know deep down that there are consequences for what you're currently involved in. Maybe there are friends, maybe there are loving parents who are trying to guide you, trying to assist you, trying to help you see the writing on the wall. 
maybe one of the messages you need to take tonight is to heed the writing on the wall and to take stock of where you are and what you're doing and what you're involved in. One of the unmistakable features of this incident is to make sense of the writing on the wall, they called on the expat. I really like that. They called on the expat. When the king's regular supply of fortune tellers and tarot card readers and psychics could not explain the writings, the queen suddenly arrives. Verse 10. Isn't it interesting that she hadn't been part of the revelry? I mean, this is the number one wife. This is the queen. He had other wives, other concubines. This guy's really, you know, he's quite a player, this guy. But she suddenly enters and she says, there's a guy in the kingdom who was a legend in your father's time. I mean, this guy, and I love the way the message says it, full of the divine Holy Spirit. There's a reference you don't get very often in the Old Testament. This is before Pentecost. Full of the divine Holy Spirit. He'll tell you what's going on. Oh, I love that. He'll tell you what's going on. And what's the interpretation? It's grim. It's ominous. Daniel stands before the king as a man of great courage. As we become used to Daniel with these courageous acts right through this series. And uh, here's the message. Belshazzar, your days are numbered. You've been found way, or rather you've, you've been weighed and found wanting. Isn't that a sad indictment on somebody's life? They've been weighed morally, weighed in the area of integrity, weighed in the area of uprightness, weighed in the area of honesty and, and found wanting. Gosh, there's a comment on so many people in our world today, many of whom are in leadership roles, weighed in the balance, found really lacking, really wanting. And then the final part of the message, your kingdom is about to be destroyed. He'll tell you what's going on. Guys, for today, here's the message. One of the most powerful ways you and I as expats in a foreign land, this theme that Sam has developed so powerfully and so cleverly, you and I as expats in a foreign land, one of the ways we can have our most powerful impact is just being true to who we are as Christians, being real, being available, being a little vulnerable, being in touch with what's happening in the lives of people. And then when the need arises, often people will call upon us to find out what's going on. Has that been your experience? Certainly was mine when I was back in corporate life, when I had a real job back in BP Australia. And I had my own ways of subtly indicating who I was. Some of you know the one I've told you before. I used to, I used to whistle praise songs uh, just to flush out the other Christians, get a little bit of support. And over the, around the water cooler, somebody would say, listen, uh, were you whistling what I thought you were whistling? And I'd say, what do you think I was whistling? Well, it kind of sounds like a song we sing down at St. Chad's or something. That's right. It's a worship song. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, but... Keep it, down. Hey, keep it down mate well listen hey I, I am too why don't we you know work together and start praying into this office and let's see what can happen here you know and just very you know subtly just building relationships and getting to really be sincere and real with people i can't tell you the number of times over the years when i've had guys come to me to talk about their wayward kids talk about their marriage problems talk about their feelings of inadequacy talk about the difficulties they're having you know uh, Graham, you know, you know about this kind of stuff. You know, you're, a, you're one of those 
churchy guys, aren't you? you know, what's going on here? You know? Not always in those sort of words, but you know, you're building relationships. And it's the people of God, often, who in the midst of a crisis can tell you what's going on. Why? Because we're dealing with the big issues of life. We're dealing with just beyond the party scene, beyond the wild aspects of modern day life. We're dealing with the real issues. We're dealing with purpose. We're dealing with meaning. We're dealing with, with how to build strong and lasting relationships. We're dealing with truth, trust, integrity. We'll tell you what's going on if we're real. They won't ask us if we're, if we're just going to trot out a whole bunch of Bible verses and act in a very pious way. Well, if you knew Jesus, I knew, you wouldn't be saying, oh, you know, like, hello, you've got to be real and you've got to build, got to start where people are. Well, I really love that about Daniel. He'll tell you what's going on. Guys, that's one of the most powerful ways we can infiltrate this foreign land we sometimes find ourselves in as expats. You know what? This incident in Daniel 5, it describes a stunning, awesome demonstration of God giving a message. Anytime he's done it in the Old Testament, writing on the wall. Wow. Powerful. But the circumstances required it. Don't mess with God. Now, it's not the only time God has made a powerful point through writing. If you haven't already thought of it, let me take you straight to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus finds himself in a predicament. A lady is flung before him in the dust. And the Pharisees who fling this lady before him say, Aha, Jesus, we've got you now. This lady has been caught in the act of adultery. One of the greatest sins we can commit here in, in Judaism. Now, the Old Testament says she must be stoned. What do you say, O great one? You who claims to be a prophet, you who claims to be the Messiah, what do you say? Our law says stone her. What do you say? Remember the scene? It's very powerful. John 8, let me remind you of exactly what Jesus did. They said this to trap Jesus so that they could accuse him. But he bent over, watch this, and wrote on the ground with his finger. And they stood there asking him questions. He straightened up and said to them, whichever one of you has committed no sin may throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote on the ground. When they heard this, they all left one by one. The older one first, Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there. He straightened up and said to her, where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? And in humility, and I believe repentance, she said, no one, sir. Well then, said Jesus, I do not condemn you either. Go, but do not sin again. Second time of the writing of the hand of God. You see, there's a big difference though. Well, there are some similarities. Like Belshazzar, like Belshazzar, in her own way, she had her time of pleasure. But there came the moment of reckoning. And there were those who wanted swift justice with this lady. Let's just stone her right now. That's what the word says. Unlike Belshazzar, who remained defiant to the end, no sign of repentance, no sign of remorse. Unlike her, this girl, I believe, and Jesus wouldn't have responded to her in the way he did unless there was genuine repentance, genuine remorse. And so that's what we've got with her. What a contrast in the two situations. Best summed up, I think, in this way. Belshazzar saw the writing and was overwhelmed with fear or by fear. 
He knew he'd gone too far. He made no attempt, no attempt to repent. He simply wanted an explanation, a quick fix so he could move on. In contrast, the woman saw the writing and was overcome by forgiveness. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, but sin no more. It's not a cheap grace. I'm not going to forget about this. It's a serious thing. But go and let me remake your life. Let me reshape your values. Let me move in into your experience and make you into the person I know you are capable of becoming. That's conversion. The big difference, of course, is grace. Did grace abound in the Old Testament? Yes, there are many instances. But did Jesus introduce a whole new level of grace? Yes, he did. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. It was a whole new, it wasn't a new God. It was just a new understanding. God's message in the Old Testament hadn't quite got through. I'm not talking about God A, God B. It's the same God. But it was like the sun was rising, just slowly rising over the landscape in the Old Testament. They just got a glimpse of what God was like. Even the most, even the most in touch men and women of God just got a glimpse of what he was really like. But when the sun, S-O-N, rose in the sky, then the picture was fully revealed. You've heard it said, but I say unto you, a whole new dimension of grace. Guys, I don't know which character you most identify with tonight. But there's a sense in which all of us get the writing on the wall. Life's a bit like that. There are friends, there are people who care for us, who are always trying to get messages through. It's, it's, more often than not, it's God trying to break through and say, hey, listen, I've got more in store for you than this. You don't have to settle for this. You don't have to exist at this level. See the writing on the wall. See the direction your actions are taking you. Be warned, take heed. For Belshazzar, unrepentant, without remorse, pretty sad ending. He, conf- he, com- he, com- he committed himself to, uh, to the justice he received. But to the woman at the well, in repentance and regret and remorse, a brand new life. The writing on the wall, the writing on the sand for her, which many scholars believe was Jesus writing various sins, lust, greed, jealousy and as each of the assembled pharisees saw themselves in the sand one by one they they left we don't know for sure but it's a it's a nice way of interpreting what may have been what what jesus may have been written what he may have been writing on this in the sand i'm here to tell you tonight the grace of jesus christ knows no bounds it doesn't matter where you've been it doesn't matter what kind of wild activity you might have been involved in whether you can identify with belshazzar or not or the woman, the woman taken adultery or not, whatever your background is, that the grace of Jesus Christ is on offer tonight. It just requires a step of repentance, a step of faith and belief. Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need you in my life to make me to the kind of person you say I'm capable of becoming. I want that for myself. I want that life. Will you do that tonight? If you've drifted away, will you come back tonight? Will you see the writing on the wall? before your back is up against it.